Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 393. Never judge a person at first glance, ever. Don't worry about where they came from, who they are, what they look for. Find out who they are. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, David Featherston. David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm always buckled up and ready for a fun ride. (laughs) Cool. Great to have you here. David Featherston is the president of Featherston Publishing in Sebastopol, California. He's evolved from journalist and photographer to automotive history specialist to prolific author and publisher. David has over 40 book titles to his credit, including his 1999 Automotive Book of the Year for American Woodies. His creations include Heroes of Hot Rodding, Chrysler Concept Cars, Bonneville, A Century of Speed, and Featherston's Treasure Box of Classic Woodies. Those are just a few of the many publications. Whether it's on paper, web-based, or hands-on with a race team, David has contributed to automotive history and culture in a diligent effort to keep the facts straight. David, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, I'm the, I'm the kid who started with automobiles as soon as he could roll a car across the floor. I mean, I've been a car freak from the very get-go. I'm not one of those guys who particularly likes roadsters or coupes. I like cars. And it doesn't matter whether it's a Ferrari or it doesn't matter whether we're going to Le Mans or whether we're going to Pikes Peak or Bonneville or Formula One. I'm fascinated by the whole thing. It's got wheels on it. And and that's driven me my whole life. I just like that stuff. I love the fact that it's driven you your whole life. A great choice of, of words there. You've written so many books, and we're going to talk about the books you've done and the different projects and things you're involved in. But as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, David, take the wheel. Well, yeah, there's a couple of them. I'll give you a, I'll give you a couple of them, not one. One of my favorite ones is the one my dad or dad gently tapped on my forehead for many years. <laughs> and, and that was never judge a person at first glance, ever. Don't worry about where they came from, who they are, what they look for. Find out who they are. Yes. 
Yes. And then you can make a decision. And I tell you, that has stood me in great stead my whole life. Yeah, absolutely. And I have this really diverse collection of friends that do all sorts of things. And, you know, it brings a rich life to, to, to us and the family because we just know so many different people. For a writer, it's the age old, don't judge a book by its cover. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I get, I can get interviews with people that other people just go, you know, how the heck did you get an interview with him? He never talks to anyone, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, things that go back to what my father taught me. Sure. Sure. You know? And I, and I truly look and realize how lucky I was for the parents I had. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? And, uh, that, that's a key factor to how your life goes, I truly do believe. Sure. Now, you mentioned a second quote, too. Well, one of the other ones is, I tolerate fools. <laughs> that goes well with your first one, for sure. It does, because you never know what you can learn. Yes. Yes. And, you know, there's the old adage, never tolerate a fool. Well, okay, that's fine. But, you know, you don't learn anything from that. And if you can learn something from that experience... Whether you learn that they're a fool, that's another matter. But <laughs> I tell you, I've come across some extraordinary people who act foolish, but have taught me all sorts of things. You know, and it doesn't matter whether it was a mechanical foolishness or a social foolishness. Sure. You know, it's just, you know, one of those little pieces of the, of the whole puzzle. Yeah, those are great quotes. You know, communication and communicating with people and being able to listen to people is such an important trait. And being willing and open to talk to as many people as possible. It's amazing what you can learn when you close your mouth and listen, isn't it? It sure is. I mean, I was probably lucky in the sense that I grew up in an environment where celebrity didn't matter. Mm. It was irrelevant because, you know, my father knew all the, in Australia, my father hung out with all the politicians and all the television people. And I was used to hanging out around, around him with those from a very small kid. Sure. And, you know, I run into all these people that are all gaga about stuff. It's like, oh, whatever, come on, you know, <laughs> get over it. It's not that big a deal. Sure, sure. That you know, usually opens the door and walks in, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, with what you do for a living, with all the books you've published and the things that you do, how is how has that mantra or those those quotes helped you with your business? Well, you know, so many people are afraid to ask. I'm not afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. Ask the question, knock on the door, make the phone call. You can only be, you know, you can only be rejected. Okay, that's only one part of the story. You know, I'm at the moment, I mean, I'm, I sort of in a way become a detective with all this history work I'm doing now, research. Well, you know, you never know who you're going to run into and you don't know what they're going to be like. People will be pissed off with you. They'll be, because they're busy. You're wasting their time and or they're suspicious of you. I mean, I will say one thing that my Australian accent has been the most amazing door opener, because, you know, because so many people have either been to Australia, want to go to Australia, or went there during Vietnam. Mm, mm -hmm. And th that whole arena of things always focuses back to, God, I want to go to Australia. Right. And or I've been there or they'll tell me an experience about what happened when they went to Australia or how they want to go back there or there's some calling. And that's always another door opener by just listening. You end up getting that opportunity to get that interview. Sure. I mean, it was like back in the days I was, the, you know, I was the young raw journalist who came here in the 80s and there was the famous Carol Shelby. Right. Well, 
took me five minutes and Carol, Carol and I were like that because <laughs> we just fell into the, into the pond like a couple of sticks. And, you know, I had him laughing and carrying on and he, he actually, one of the things that he liked about what I did, I had to have a portrait of him. I set it up, walked him outside, shot what I needed and put him back in his office in three minutes. Mm. And he looked at his secretary and said, don't you ever give me a photographer who wants two hours of my time. <laughs> it's... And I have beautiful portraits of him. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's all that stuff about being able to not schmooze it, but, you know, be able to be, you know, gracious and comfortable with people. And and that that is what comes from those roots of being a child and being educated by a father who, by example, showed you how to do it. Ah, fortunate. Very, very fortunate. Yeah. Well, you talked about being a kid and loving cars as you were a kid, but could you share with me a story that instigated your passion for cars? I'd love to hear about that pivotal moment as you remember it when you really realized you were a car guy. I can tell you that right off the top of my head. I was standing at a hill climb. My buddy was running his Austin Healey Sprite Mark II. Not very well, but he was having fun. And a Corvette, 64 Corvette, rolls up. It's got racing wheels. It's got Halibut wheels on it. It's got open exhaust, and it's got a fuel-injected, Halibut fuel-injected Corvette 427 in it. Mm-hmm. And it pulls up and sits there, and it sits, stops right beside me, and the ground is shaking. <laughs> and I can feel this car power pulsing into my body. And I'm like, all the hair on my body stood up. And then we watched him race up and down the hill climb all day. And I went, I got to do this. I'm not going to do what the other people do. I'm going to do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and because it, it, it looks, it, it, not only was the whole audio f- effect on me, but the physical entity of that car was so powerful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't want to drive it. I just wanted to be doing things that went around with it. And sure enough, I ended up doing all the driving and everything else. But, you know, it, it, it becomes, it sort of went, the light went, it was one of the switches, one of the fuse boxes was moved to the on position. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. <laughs> Stung by the Corvette. Very yep. cool. I love that. Yeah. So, David, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl into the hood, maybe get our hands a little dirty here and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. But the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation? What did it teach you? Well, you know, it's uh, I'll go back to a piece I did note here. What amazes me about myself is that how does, a, how does a dyslexic kid from the Australian bush end up living in California, winning multiple media awards over many years, and then running a publishing company? <laughs> I don't know. How does a, how does a kid do that? <laughs> I did it, you know? Yeah. And in fact, we just finished uh, our first book publishing seminar. It was called How to Start Your Own Automotive Publishing Company. And... We got, we, it was a one day event and we had such an incredible response from the participants when it was finished. And because we, I taught them all the nuts and bolts and it's my way of sort of giving back. And um, it was part of, you know, me thinking, hell, if I can do it, 
surely everyone who's interested in it can do it. It's not that difficult. It's just a system and a series of events you need to put in place. Okay. Okay. It's like any having a good business model, writing a business plan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a business plan to opening a publishing company. And we had, you know, we had uh, 10 automotive journalists there. And, you know, they were all like, at the end of it, like, wow. And I'm sure that we'll probably see within a year or two, at least half a dozen books come out of these guys. And I've showed them how, we taught them how to do it themselves, all the distribution, you know, how to, how to set it all up. So you gather the money, not someone else. <laughs> yes, yes. Having done many books with other publishers, I refuse to go down that road anymore. Yes. Because it is just a, it's a no-win situation. You know, I've heard this from so many of my guests who are authors, and the uh, possibilities today for writers to self-publish, uh, to produce things themselves, the whole world is flipped upside down, and now the possibilities are almost endless. They are. The, the web made it all come together, and it came together in such a fashion that we were showing people how they could could produce a book online for no money apart from their time and sell it and make money on it or how they could produce an ebook put it on amazon or kindle or apple or smashwords i mean i have two ebooks up and they they they're totally different one's a, um, a narrative about a surf adventure and the other one is a book of short stories I get checks every month. <laughs> nice. Hallelujah. Nice. Yes. <laughs> Not me, but every month, bing, bing, bing. Very nice. Nice passive income. Awesome. Great. You know, you're the second guest I've had on Cars Yeah this week who dealt with dyslexia and has overcome that and moved forward. Very, mm-hmm. very interesting. Uh, wonderful to hear that. I've got family members that have to deal with that. Many friends that have dealt with it. Uh, kudos to you for working through that. And, uh, Thank you. Ending up here and uh, producing some wonderful books. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story with me where you had a career aha moment. It's that time I like to say when the headlights came on and illuminated your way for this new idea, this new direction that you had. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. Well, I had been book publishing and I actually spent 30 years as a journalist. And then I went into, I could see it, well, about about 2000, I could see what the web was doing. All the trending was telling me, hmm, this is going to change a lot of things. And my research led me into marketing. So I ended up basically going to school and doing marketing at college and, and evolving my own business in from being a journalist and a photographer into a marketing expert. And I ended up running another company for someone running their marketing division, and um, which we did very, I, I presume, I believe I did a very good job at it. I bought them from being in the shadows to being at the highlight. And the exposure we gained for them was enormous. And then they sold the company and of course they rolled that over and they, Um, decided that the whole management team wasn't what they wanted anymore. So the whole management team went away. And I went back out to my own business and went, you know what, I'm never going to work for someone again. I'm going to work for myself. 
I'm going to be in command of what I do from five o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night. And I'm only going to do things that are worthwhile. I'm not going to do things for people that don't appreciate your hard work. You know, I'm one of the things that was lacking with a lot of me working in that environment. No one said thank you. Right? One of my first words, thank you, always. You know, and it's like, you know, it's, um, I've been in hospital with some pretty severe heart issues over the last 20 years, and I'm well stable now. And I did learn again from my own sort of, I guess, um, character that one of the things that you always do in a hospital is always say that everyone who helps you, thank you for my care. I tell you, those few words will get you so much help and attention and care down the road. Gratitude. And because I, I would be in hospital and I'd see people abusing medical staff who worked at a hospital who were helping them. And I was like, what? What are you <laughs> thinking? These people, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that, that sort of... That sort of scenario of things led me to the point where I'm only going to do projects that are really worthwhile. You know, so I ended up, so I ended up doing fundraising books for uh, Save the Salt. We're doing, just finished another one for the SCTA. Um, I did, I've done three Woody books. The first one uh, we had published by someone else. We published the second one. We didn't have, really have enough money to do what I wanted to do. And then when I came back around and I said, I'm going to do the ultimate Woody book. I want to make it what I want, not what someone else perceives. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to build it so it's 128 pages. I'm going to keep filling it until we're finished. There you go. So we, that book is 400 pages. Oh, my goodness. It weighs seven pounds. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but it's the most incredible Woody book you'll ever see. Yeah. And it comes in a wooden box. Nice. Made up as a, um, I'll show you one before we, when we finish. Yeah. Very um, cool. We printed, we printed 500 of them. They're $495 each. Oh, wow. Yeah. Special, we special 40, books. Less than 40 left. Awesome. That's the sort of stuff of taking adversity and making it something worthwhile. It goes back to that one my father said. You never know what's good luck. You never know what's bad luck. Just keep on going another one of his great lines. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, for those listeners out there, those entrepreneurs, those wantrepreneurs, there's some golden nuggets here that David has shared. And the fact that, you know, build your own legacy, build your own dynasty, go to work for yourself. Uh, but I love the attitude of gratitude of saying thank you. So few people do that anymore. And it's so, so important. It is. To me, it's the core of life. It really is. It really is. Let's talk a little bit about proudest career moments. I would assume you've had many with all the things you've done and all the awards you've received, but is there one in particular you can share with our listeners that really stands out for you? Uh, <laughs> I think giving a restored pedal car Jeep to my three-year-old grandson. <laughs> Very cool. I mean, you know, my family is the first thing in line with anything I do. Uh -huh. um, and I have a three-year-old grandson in Colorado He's a great little guy, and to see the look on his face when we unveiled that, I found it at Hershey. It was a 1946-47 Jeep pedal car made of aluminum. It's beautiful. Wow. And I bought it back there. I bought it home. I spent three months restoring it, took it apart completely, found all the pieces that were missing, 
had all the decals re, uh, remade. I mean, all the decals, two decals remade. Uh-huh. And I shipped it back to, to Colorado, and then we gave it to him when we went out there just a few months ago. Wow. The look on his face when he got that car was, it was just like, I'm going to be, this is going to be, this guy's going to be a car guy. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I could tell you all sorts of stories, but that's my favorite. Yeah, no, that's awesome. When I was a little boy, my uncle gave me his Garten Cadillac. Mm-hmm. And uh was very little, and I don't remember it very well. Unfortunately, my mom gave it away, darn it, <laughs> when I grew too old for it. But I do have mm-hmm. a picture of me sitting in it, but that's pretty cool. Well, talking about special cars, let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? And if you could share a memory you have with that car. Special cars. You know, here's the problem with that. I spent 22 years driving other people's cars writing newspaper columns. I used to, have, used to do six newspapers in the Bay Area mm-hmm. and write their weekly newspaper column. So in 22 years, I estimated I had 1,200 test cars. Oh, my goodness. Because one would arrive every Monday morning at my office and I'd give it back to them the next Monday morning. Nice. It, it was probably the most wonderful thing that could ever happen to a young automotive journalist. Yeah, how do I sign up for that deal? <laughs> uh, well, you have to have a newspaper column or yep. you know, a magazine. I would write for, at one time I was writing for 22 magazines and six newspapers Wow. on a weekly, monthly basis. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I was a, I was a, a working fool. Yeah, a word machine. But you know, I worked from home. Um, I had offices at home. I was there, I'd take my kids to school, I'd bring them home. If I wasn't home on the weekend, that was unfortunate. If I was, we went somewhere, we did something, went to all the soccer games. Yeah. So that was, you know, I managed to roll all of that around. But, you know, I would say if I, if I had to say a really special car, I'd probably talk about my motorcycle. Okay. A, Ducati, a 1964 Ducati Scrambler. 64 Fact- Scrambler, cool. Yeah, factory motocross yeah. racer. I rode it on the street in Australia. Nice. Um, but then, you know, H1 Hummer, you can't, you, you can't judge that vehicle until you've driven it. <laughs> yes. I mean, my favorite story was that. I mean, I had it parked outside my office in town, and I come down at lunchtime, and there's four kids laying underneath it in the street. <laughs> and they're examining the powertrain. They're all pointing at stuff. And, oh, my gosh. And what's oh, look at this. And then I walked out and said, what are you doing? And they, they said, oh, we're looking at it. And said, well, get in. I guess you want to ride. There you go. So, and the doors were nearly torn off it. <laughs> you know, I took these kids for a ride around town and up a, up a little piece of rough country. And they went on their way. I never saw them again. But I tell you what, they all had the biggest smiles on their faces. Yeah, that was. they left. That was nice. You left a great impression. I did. Yeah, it was a great opportunity to do that. Yeah, yeah. Take you know? take those opportunities whenever you can to yep. to uh, advance the car lovingness for kids these days. How yeah. about a vehicle that you've owned that you've let go that you really wish you had back in the garage? Um. Well, I have a. I restored a Maserati Camson. Ooh. Which is a very rare. Yeah. One of four hundred. Yeah. I guess there's probably only, you know, maybe 200 left because they rusted so, they <laughs> rusted so badly. Yep. Luckily, mine was a San Francisco delivered car, lived in a garage its whole life. And I went through it, put it back on the road. 
Um, it took me five years to restore it. Uh, it was that's absolutely beautiful car, but um, I got sick, and my doctor said to me, "No more cars. You can't work on cars." What? Well, they put a they put a defibrillator in me. Oh wow! So I can't be around any welding. I can't be around a running engine that's got a mag on it or old style engine. Uh, I can't use electric power tools. Uh oh! Wow! It interferes. It could. It could interfere with my defibrillator. I see. Wow! So I looked. My wife looked at me, and I looked at her, and she said, "And I said, I guess that means no cars." Ugh. And she, you know, we went. I looked at the doctor, and he said, "It's probably the most preferable thing because he knows what I do." I mean, I used to build race cars, so it was like sort of cutting your hand off. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, I think so. But oh goodness. I have so many friends who have cars. If I want to, if I need a car to go do something, want to have some fun in, I just go borrow one. <laughs> nice. You're a fortunate guy. I drive a 10 year old BMW M Sport wagon. Oh, cool. 525. And I have, I got 200,000 miles on it. And I have no intention of getting rid of it. <laughs> Good for it you. It is the most lovely car to drive on a regular daily basis I think I've ever owned. And I've had Mercedes, Infinities. You know BMWs of other you know other models, all sorts of stuff. Sure. But this sport wagon is just what I like to drive. Now, ten-year-old BMW, that's an E46. Yeah, yeah, it's a 525. I've got an E46 M3. I love that car. Great yeah. car. Yeah, great yeah. car. How about current projects? Is there a project you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, well, two things. I'm working on a five-book series on Bonneville. Oh, wow. We're about halfway through it. It won't come out till the end of next year, even maybe 17. It will be 1,500 plus pages on Bonneville. Wow. No one has ever tackled a project like this. And it's going, it goes back to my thing about if I'm going to do something, just do the whole thing properly. Right. You know, there's a book on – last year, I did take on the most difficult project, which was the history of motorcycles at Bonneville. Mm. Wow. It is the most convoluted, upside down, sideways, numerically incorrect story I've ever researched. And I now understand why the problem is. It took me a year to figure that out. Mm -hmm. But I have now written the chronology of motorcycle racing at Bonneville. And it's 100,000 words right now. Wow. And I still have to write the narrative that ties it all together. Whoa. So it'll be 120, 130,000 words. And um, then we are currently writing the book on streamliners and lakesters, working on the roadster book, and there's one on uh, coupes and trucks, and then there's one on production cars, sports cars, uh, all the oddball stuff, trucks, big trucks. Yeah, wow. Come out as a five-book set. Man, you are a busy guy. Awesome. <laughs> we can't wait to see those. That'll be good. Yeah, I'm working on these kids' books. I mean, unfortunately, unfortunately... I've been working on a five-book series, actually a 12-book series of kids' books about automobiles and, and vehicles. Oh, okay. And we did the first one, and we did a quick, short production run of that, and we created it as both an e-book and a, a print book, but we have never released it um, because it was really a developmental project. Okay. And now I know what I'm doing with it. So two years later, while I've been doing all these other projects, I've spent a little bit of time evolving those projects. Wow. But these, are, these are stories for kids about 
the life cycle of a vehicle. And the, the vehicle has a persona. And they're all, they all have these strong social and moral values that run all the way through all of them. Nice. About, you know, being reliable, about doing a quality job, about respect. Nice. You know, all these things that we need to in, enhance in our children. Yes. So there's the, the, those are sitting over here in left field at the moment. Oh, goodness. Well, hey, we need those. You need to get those done. I know, well, I just got some more material to start on those again, and uh, I really, I really think they'll be very successful. Very cool. I love it. Sounds like you're doing some great work. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, David. If yeah. you were a car, what kind of car would David be, and why? <laughs> Probably an H1 Hummer because I could go anywhere. Ah, there you go. I like that. Yeah, and I can take four, three friends with me that I like. Yeah, I like that. See, I, that's why I like that question. Great answer. I love that. Well, David, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. Metrovac has been manufacturing and providing quality automotive vacuums and blowers since 1939. I've used their portable vacuum and blowers for over 15 years in my garage on my cars, motorcycles, around my home, and you should too. Their Air Force Master Blaster Revolution is my go-to tool every time I wash and detail my vehicles. Powered by two twin-fan 4.0 peak horsepower motors, the Master Blaster delivers up to 58,000 feet per minute of clean, warm, dry, filtered air. Dry your car without a towel and avoid those nagging micro-scratches. Perfect for the wheels, engines, motorcycles, and all those frustrating water traps in trim, door jams, and seals. Check out all of Metrovac's quality products, deliberately made better in the USA. Metrovac is the right choice. Learn more today at Metrovac.com. Use discount code CARSYA20 and you'll get 20% off your first order. That's right, 20% off. Details at CarsYeah.com slash sponsors. Okay, David, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? I'm ready to go. All right. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Don't suck on the tube when you're trying to siphon gas. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a, Don't do that. It's not good for you. <laughs> um, best automotive advice. No, that's a hard one. Uh, because there's so many pieces that get thrown at me. I mean, I, I raced, you know, people always giving me advice there, you know, don't do this, don't do that. I always liked the guys who told me, do this, do that. Sure. And, um, you know, I raced in ITB in back in the 90s uh, before I had my heart issues. I mean, if there was something that I sought out in, in my whole life was those moments was to be able to be behind the wheel and put in track time. Well, there's, there's something so uniquely special about that. You know, it's like, I mean, I've over the years, I've driven all sorts of things. In fact, about five years ago, I got to drive um, a sprint car. And I always wondered why guys were so enamored with sprint cars, because I always thought, yeah, it's a dirty, nasty, rough, you know, sort of sport. And I went, so I got invited to go drive one. I tell you, it took me about mm, six laps to realize why it's like shooting heroin. <laughs> it is probably the most addictive motorsport you could ever be involved in. Wow. 
I mean, I spent the morning, they taught me how to drive the car. I watched the pros do it. They took me out there. They pushed me. I ran 35 laps on that track. Took me, you know, four laps to five laps to get into the, you know, the seat time. And then I was sideways the whole time. Fine. And I mean, I spun the car out, didn't stall it. I watched them do it. And it was like, now it was truly a, one of those moments, like you just said, the light went on. I went, now I understand what that's now about. Now I get it. So maybe that's your best advice. Get in a sprint car and give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, how, absolutely. How about personal habits? Is there one of your personal habits that you could share with us that you think has contributed to your success over the years? Get up early. Mm, yes. <laughs> I'm usually up at um, four or five o'clock in the morning. I spend two or three hours writing. That's how I can get so much stuff done. And by breakfast time, you know, I've already written, you know, 500 or 1,000 words. Yeah, yeah. It's a great trade. I've heard that from many, many successful people. Get up early. And uh, I do the same thing. So it's amazing what you can get done before 7 o'clock in the morning when, Absolutely. No, when nobody's bothering you. Absolutely. How about a resource? Is there one in particular you think the Cars Yacht listeners would really enjoy? I do a lot of stuff on Facebook. And Facebook provides me with a lot of links out to intelligent stuff. Of course, there's a lot of rubbish on there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, I find that a great resource to, you know, connect with people and find out what's right going on right now. Um, there's a... Um, uh, unfortunately, I, I don't know what the name of the new website is. They just changed the name of the website. Why they did that, I wouldn't know. Um so I can't quote that one, but we have a new um, uh, website of our own called BonnevilleBookstore.com. Oh, okay, cool. Which is just Bonneville and Hot Rod Books. And it just, it's only a, it's like a Groupon site where you just connect through directly to the publisher. You can, instead of saying, just seeing one object, you can see what's in the market. Right. So people can go, oh, I'd like to look at that, or I'd like to look at that. Very cool. And that's BonnevilleBookstore.com. All right. We'll make that's sure. That's one of ours. We'll make sure that's listed on your show notes page. Yeah, and good. Speaking of books, this is going to be a tough question for you, but is there one book you'd like to share with our listeners that you think they would really enjoy? You can't tell a book by <laughs> book. I know, I know, but you know what? I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you four. Okay. All good. right, I'll make it quick. All right. Okay, Bill Bryson book, One Summer, America 1927. Brilliant. Airplane book. Flight of Passage, Rinka Buck. Incredible story of two teenagers flying a Piper Cub across the United States. It's unbelievable story. Wow. So well written. I mean, I've read it three times. Literature, Richard, uh, Richard Brodigan, Revenge of the Lawn, short stories. It is the most wonderful piece of beat literature you will ever, ever read. So there's my... Uh, there's my three. How about that? There you go. That's great. I love it. Well, listeners, you can find all these great resources at carsyacom slash David Featherston, or just put David in the search bar and his show notes page will pop up with links to all these great things. And there's a great place on the Cars Yacht website called Guest Recommended Books, where David's three great recommended books and some of his books will be posted there and all the past guest books with easy links to go find all these books to get your hands on them. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, David, and this last question can be a real doozy. <laughs> if you could have only one 
collector car in your garage. But don't worry about the price because today I'm going to write that check. What okay. would that one vehicle be and why? Very easy. A Peugeot of all things. A Peugeot. Okay. A Peugeot, yeah. A, a Dalmat Roadster. Dalmat. Yeah, it's from 1934, 35. Maybe a little bit later, 36. Okay. It was built by Emile uh, Dalmat. Uh, it's a French special-bodied sports roadster. Uh, it had a wild disappearing windshield. It was the most elegant deco-style roadster. He only built, I think they built maybe 100 of them. Mm -hmm. And they used coupes and roadsters. But the roadster is the most gracious, elegant 30s roadster you can imagine. Look it up and see it. Yeah. I saw that the first time at uh, Retromobile in Paris in like 2000, maybe, no, 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 1997, when I went to Retromobile the first time. And I was so blown away by it. Like, I wanted to buy one. And I wish I had bought one because now they're million-dollar cars. Then they were cars that people didn't want. You know, I've seen those on the lawn at Pebble Beach. I know the car that you're talking about. It is a beautiful, beautiful car. Like you said, Art Deco, it has those... I think it's five of those circles on the side cowling that kind of come down. That Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh. It, it's so outrageous. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, just sort of, it's always spoken to me. Yeah, they're beautiful, beautiful cars. I had not seen or really known much of those cars before the first time I walked up to one on the lawn. And I've seen a couple since at different car shows. And you just mm -hmm. kind of go, whoa, where have these been all my life? Yeah. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, David, you have taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed talking with you. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Peugeot Dalmat? There's one other book. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bert Levy's The Last Open Road. You probably know that book. Bert's been a guest here on Cars Yeah. That is a must to read yes yes if you're a car if, you, if you're a car guy that is the book to read <laughs> absolutely well, love it all of his books are absolutely fantastic yeah, yeah they're really great well let's get back to you could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Peugeot I'm going to buy you I don't think there's enough humor in the world mm. I think too many people take it all too seriously and, you know, come on, folks, you're only here for 80 years, you know. <laughs> if you're lucky. Laugh, you know. I find the world funny. I find people funny. And that, I think, drives me that it's not funny, ha-ha. It's like funny because I love it. I love the people and I love the fact they're different. Yes. And that's it. Be accepting of people. You'll, you'll find out wonderful things. Great advice. Be accepting and laugh more. Definitely. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you, get their hands on your books? Do you have a website? I know you mentioned Facebook. Yeah, um, you can go to davidfeatherston.com. All right. And perfect. Featherston's uh, spelled F-E-T-H-E-R-S-T-O-N. There you go. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything David's been so kind to share with us today at carsyad.com. Just put David in the search bar. His show notes page will pop up with links to his site and everything that we've talked about today. David, this has been great fun. You made me laugh and smile today. I want to thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences and in your books and your life around cars with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Good. Thank you, Mark. Great ride. Take care. You're welcome. 
Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.